What happened? What did you do? You, Pandora. You set us free, Pandora. We are free to fly. The Greek myth of Pandora is one of many ways that humans have tried to understand a big question. Why is there evil in the world? As the story goes, Pandora opens a box and unleashes all of the Earth's miseries, greed, hatred, and arrogance, to name a few. You said you were suffering. You said I could be powerful. You lied. You are powerful, Pandora. You have vanquished the Earth, Pandora. Are you still there? Am I alone? The climate crisis is a monster created by all those forces that Pandora set free. It was birthed by greed, strengthened by hubris, and sustained by power. But we know that really, these evils can't be blamed on a fictional Greek lady. Instead, they're the result of humans, who, like Pandora, made bad choices. Choices to extract, to colonize, to capitalize. Because of these choices, the fate of the entire world is up for grabs. And half the animals and birds of the planet could see a dramatic decline this century due to climate change. There will be mass migration, unlike anything we've ever seen. People will lose the ability to grow crops. We will see more severe weather events. So there's a lot of doom. As young people, it's easy to feel hopeless living in this troubled world. Even though our generation didn't decide to open the box, we live with the consequences. But we have the ability to make choices too. This is episode four of Inherited, The Green New Dream. In this episode, the last of our pilot season, we're making a decision. Instead of resigning ourselves to a terrible fate, we're dreaming up a new path. The journey down this path will require the only force left over in Pandora's box after the rest escaped. That's right. One remained. Just one. Hope. But in our current world, choosing hope can be pretty freaking hard. What I'm saying is the planet's on fucking fire. There are a lot of things we could do to put it out. Are any of them free? No, of course not. Nothing's free, you idiots. Grow the fuck up. You're not children anymore. I didn't mind explaining photosynthesis to you when you were 12, but you're adults now, and this is an actual crisis. Got it? Safety glasses off, motherfuckers. Well, at least we have Bill Nye the Science Guy on our side. Because here's the problem with being a young, climate-aware person. Be honest about your fear, and you're a pessimist who needs to relax feel hope about the future, and you're a naive idealist who doesn't know what the hell you're talking about. And it's not just young people who get ridiculed. It's anyone who dares to point out the truth or propose ambitious plans that will actually change things. And nothing has been ridiculed more than the Green New Deal. A Green New Deal. The Green New Deal. The Green New Deal. Ah, yes. The Green New Deal. If you want to hear more about the policy itself, Check out our sibling podcast, Generation Green New Deal, also by Critical Frequency. But for this episode, here's the elevator pitch. The Green New Deal is the legislative equivalent of a vision board, 
It outlines how to stop climate change by addressing all the individual evils that have created it. It's made up of a bunch of different policy proposals that will together move American society over to completely renewable energy in just 10 years, all while addressing racial and economic inequality. No climate solution like it has been proposed before. And many people have ridiculed the Green New Deal. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell called it a far-leftist socialist sci-fi tale before rushing it to a vote a few weeks after it was proposed. It didn't pass. Which was his goal? The thing is, McConnell and his kind don't actually have the power to sabotage the Green New Deal. Sure, he was able to kill it as legislation, but the idea itself has grown far beyond Congress. Now it's the phrase we use when we describe a hopeful future where we succeed instead of fail, where we actually win this thing. Are you offended that um, Speaker Pelosi called this the green dream? No, I think it is a green dream. And I think that uh, it is, it is. And I don't consider that to be a dismissive term. I think it's a great term. (laughs) If someone told you to jump off a cliff, would you do it? No. But there is something to be said about leaping into the unknown. That's what our podcast, Outside In, is all about. It's a safer way to explore all the weird, wonderful, and uncomfortable questions you have about the natural world. Like, what's it like to decompose? All of the germs and bacteria is saying, okay, baby, we gotta get rid of this person. Or, why the hell do we have lawns? Who the hell needs five acres of ornamental grass? I'm Nate Hedgie, host of Outside In, a podcast where curiosity and the natural world collide. Sometimes it's serious, sometimes it's ridiculous, but it's always a wild journey. That's Outside Slash In from New Hampshire Public Radio. While change may not happen overnight, the movement for a more just society is gaining momentum. Tune in to Crooked Media's Pod Save the People, where every week you can learn about the stories that are impacting communities of color from people of color. With hosts DeRay McKesson, Kaya Henderson, Miles Johnson, and Diara Ballinger, Pod Save the People gives an exciting blend of politics, culture, and social issues all in one place. From book censorship to discussing Beyonce's impact on society, tune in to Pod Save the People every Wednesday on your favorite podcast platform. Hey, it's Georgia. I want to point out what AOC did just there. Instead of accepting the phrase Green New Dream as an insult, she flipped it on its head and embraced it. Which makes sense when you think about it. Why is dreaming anything to be ashamed of? Why do we have to defend our imaginations? I mean, let's be real. Our commitment to incrementalism simply isn't working. Since the days of Pandora, we've been walking along a road paved by the miseries of her box. But there's a fork in the road, a left-hand turn. This new road, it's really more of a forest path, gently trodden and overgrown with brambles. You see, few have traveled down it before, but that's okay. There are thousands in front of us to clear the brush and millions behind for whom will widen the trail. And further down, like Dorothy arriving in Oz, 
our future transforms from drab black and white into brilliant kaleidoscopic technicolor. Don't get me wrong. Choosing this second path, it's going to require significant bravery. It'll take hard work to blaze this trail, to stretch our imaginations beyond what seems currently possible. But it's not an ignorant choice or an oblivious one. Instead, choosing hope means saying, hey, there's something here worth fighting for. Fortunately, a group of people has already started clearing this path. Black Lives Matter activists have taken to the streets to radically imagine a future without police, prisons, or systemic racism, following in the traditions of Afrofuturists and indigenous just transition movements. It's an old practice of the oppressed and the daring. These dreams, dreams of abolishing violence, incarceration, and suffering, they've suddenly become much more real thanks to the relentless imagination of activists. And to me, that is the essence of the Green New Deal, or really the Green New Dream. It's about bravely reaching down into the pits of absolute despair and terror to pull out a handful of gleaming hope. Since this is our last episode of the season, we decided we wanted to do some dreaming of our own. So we asked folks to send us their visions for what a future world could look like. They did not disappoint. They sent in all sorts of different dreams from all these different imagined futures. Songs, stories, poems, plays, phone conversations, late-night musings. Some of these dreams are funny, some are melancholy, some nostalgic, but all, in a way, are hopeful. So, sit back, close your eyes, and welcome to the future. From Parable of the Talents by Octavia Butler. The child in each of us knows paradise. Paradise is home. Home as it was or home as it should have been. Paradise is one's own place, one's own people. One's own world, knowing and known, perhaps even loving and loved. Yet every child is cast from paradise, into growth and new community, into vast, ongoing change. I was born in a sci-fi family, like watching Star Trek all the time. And the, the core idea of Star Trek is that it takes place in a future where all of the shit that's holding us back now has been overcome. In the fictional timeline, the 21st century is really shitty, 
but we're gonna overcome it. And that's what I feel like my personal purpose is, is to like give us that future that I grew up watching on screen, where there is no money and there is no poverty and there is no disease. But if I had like no worries at all, when I lived in the, the 23rd century uh, and I was on like a starship or something, traveling the universe, I would probably want to be a ragtime pianist uh, just entertaining people with these really old-timey songs that make me feel good. When I was younger, this was my dream job. Move to France, have a boutique slash kindergarten slash daycare slash veterinarian, did I say veterinarian? No, no. Veterinarian building in which I could have babies and dogs together so that the babies would like really connect with dogs and have like a higher mental development. And you could also, like I could also wash your dog and you can buy clothes for your dog and you could buy clothes for your baby. It was this whole idea in France, right? That was, I dreamed about this for so many years. I would dream about it. I would dream about how perfect and pink it would be. Damn it, a high-speed rail gleaming in silver and inside so many faces. People wearing hard hats and soft smiles. People with headphones on, you hear the beats coming from it. Boom, ba, boom, ba, da, ba, ba, ba and people just humming to themselves, singing an old song someone else taught them. Guys, this is literally a free train. A train that takes me from the Boston Seaport where I get to buy a fish sandwich and get to see the harbor and get to see people playing music on the street all the way to Worcester to see those big buildings and every town in between. Damn, connecting people from home to work to home. Yeah, that's my dream. Mmm, I want that. We could do it too. We just gotta get all the people there in that one train, you know? I also wanna see a world where there's more joy and pleasure. Yeah, I'd just love to see a world where things are green and beautiful and every building that we build, we're thinking about mimicking what nature, what we see around us in nature so we don't feel so separate. And I'd love to see cities just full of plants on every building, almost like a jungle. Yeah, I just want to see a future where it feels beautiful and joyful to be alive. I think a huge way that we're going to survive whatever's coming to us is to be able to put our attention on pleasure, to be able to say, even though these conditions seem incomprehensibly horrible, I can still find the pleasure in this day. I can find the reason to continue. I can find the connections that still make me want to be here. And I can find the good feeling inside of myself, you know, the orgasmic yes inside myself that makes me say, yes, I still want to be here. I want to live in a place where you can be whatever gender you feel like that day. No one gives a shit. And maybe 
everyone feels happy because everyone gets to go to therapy for free. That would be really great for me. Imagine strolling down Broadway on a cool summer day under the shade of native chestnut trees as the bees buzz above and the workers get ready for harvest. On the side of the buildings, the murals painted by children reach up towards the clear blue sky, where the skyline of Times Square is framed by solar panels, wind turbines, and gardens. I hop on the subway downtown to meet my friends, no metro card or barrier is needed since it's free. We take a stroll down by the Hudson River, full of fish and turtles reclaiming the shallows after a long day of avoiding the splashing children. An eagle soars out into the harbor, across the fiery sunset, towards Lady Liberty. We think back to the days when we were out in the streets, fighting for justice for the climate, justice for the people, and we smile, because we came together and we put those days behind us. The play takes place on a brick roof. One character is talking about a dream they had, and they say, I dreamed that the cranes of all colors still poke out from the water in Olneyville at the 610 connector and downtown by the river. They are bathed in golden light, which turns violet and rose as the day goes on. And Providence is underwater. And then in the end, or just before the end, all of us, including you and me, would live in a house along the ocean with salty skin and a room for the moon, and eat fresh oysters and watch the rising water and the light every day sliding off the edge, every day until the water comes up over us. And then the robot, who has been there the whole time, says, And when the world is over, and the sun is gold and burning, and everything beautiful is glaring upon us, let me stay like this for just a little while. This is a beautiful feeling. This is the most beautiful feeling. wake up someday and realize that it's been years since I heard the constant rumble of traffic. A few cars still make deliveries or, or ferry people around, sure, but not like the old days. With all the motors gone, on a good morning, you can even hear a beaver slap its tail from across the neighborhood. The parking lanes have been replaced by a peat bog, a tiny muskeg soaking up the storm water. It's made of pillowy lumps of sphagnum moss, miniature, jewel-colored, carnivorous sundews, and maybe later in the summer, a few creamsicle-flavored cloudberries, each sitting like a puffy orange beacon on top of their short, singular stem. It's far from wilderness, but it's also not exactly managed. Things are just always in flux. I pass by burrows and a cache of spruce cones. A few dusty blue cup mushrooms are fruiting on the conifer duff. I'll take that as my daily reminder that not all the gardeners 
are human. I'm really into this, like, co-op idea. Like, long-term, my actual ideal future is, like, living in the same place as a bunch of friends and we all have babies around the same time and all our babies are friends with each other and we're just, like, this weird cohabitative group of people but like everyone's a happy. wonderful childhood but also the forest provides like any food that you could possibly think of wow just you like just pick it off burger. a tree Fuck. That's hot amazing. cheetos grow on trees now cheeseburgers grow on trees now uh-huh ice cream growing on a tree i think we nailed it these are some out loud musings that I'm gonna have about a little piece of land in Northwest Arkansas. My family acquired this land in the 1960s when my grandfather wanted a bug out location for when things went to heck in the Cold War. I would love to start a pay what you can farm stand um, using sustainable agriculture to, to just keep the farm stand full <laughs> and feed the community. First and foremost, if I ever became the sole caretaker of the property, um, I would want to uh, return the land to the indigenous tribes that have occupied it before it was colonized. In Northwest Arkansas, that's the Osage people. And anything that I did do, I would ask permission if it fit within the ideals of how they see the land being used and respected. Who knows, maybe my future is supposed to be in the hills of Northwest Arkansas. All I can think of when it comes down to it is that I wanna have children. I wanna be able to have children without being afraid of the world I'm putting them in. That's my utopia. That's all I'm really looking for right now. I have always known, even since I was a little girl, that I wanted to be a mother. I honestly think I'm going to peak as a mom. My first thought is that my personal ideal utopia looks like having kids, watching them grow up, and then leaving this world knowing that their futures and their children's futures and so on and so on are safe. So when I think of the world that I want to live in um, and the world that I want my 10-month-old daughter uh, to grow up in, to be uh, nourished by, I think of one that embodies the values and the principles and the frameworks of disability justice, transformative justice, and abolition. So really believing that um, that nobody is disposable. We value people, beautiful and brilliant parts of their existence, and, and also that we kind of get rid of this good and bad binary of people and embodying abolition. So really um, believing that we don't need 
prisons. We don't need jails, um, psychiatric institutions, nursing homes, um, group homes. These are places where um, we throw people away and deem that they are disposable. And yeah, this is an idealistic future, but I think that it's something that we have to actively practice and work towards every day. Um, abolition is a practice. It's a journey. It's not an end goal. My dream world is a world where the people who are working so hard to ensure a better future are not having to burn out, um, where they have the resources that they need to keep going and to create an idealistic space for all of us and a world in which joy and celebration coexists with hard work and perseverance and protesting and pushing boundaries. My ideal future would be one where elected officials govern out of love where nature is not forcefully codified by Western geology and economic valuation. It's got clean, green energy for all. Most work weeks are three to four days, and people have significant free time. The unsheltered have safe homes. The hungry have nutritious foods. The sick are cared for without cost. And we've healed our water and soil. Loved ones will care for the dead and return them to the earth in a green burial. They will act essentially as fertilizer for the plants. I want to be connected with the land, working through regenerative agriculture. I want to be riding more. I want to be taking care of, of the land, of livestock, of, of a family. I want to be in community. I think that's really what it's about. That's an economy of care right there, and that's, that's what I'm fighting for. The future of my wildest dreams is one where I don't have to worry about the future. I'm not thinking, what's going to happen next? What am I doing? How can I protect myself and my friends, my family in the coming years? The future of my wildest dreams is where we're living in the present moment because the present moment is just so glorious and no danger is looming ahead. One more thing, I just, before we go, I opened the box again. There was a voice, but different this time, not even a voice, maybe like a glimmer, and I opened it, just a crack, and it said, I am hope, Pandora. I belong to everyone. I let out hope. People don't talk about that. I think hope is made out of a good night's sleep. I think it is made out of believing a little kid will have a good life, even if you don't know if it's true. Hope is made out of bioluminescence. Hope is how trees actually have families and they take care of each other, and how forest floors have their own internets of tingly roots underneath that plants use to talk to each other. Hope might be made out of the static in your brain that makes you think about someone all day without ever getting bored. Static that takes up all the space you would use to be thinking about the news or your fear of death or the ones you've lost. Hope is lightning bugs. 
Anyway, I just... I just really wanted you all to know that, too. I wanted you to think of that, too. That's it for the pilot season of Inherited. Thank you all so much for listening to our show. This project has been a creative explosion with so much learning, collaboration, and support. We have a vision for Inherited to become like the movement it's for, by, and about, to centralized, collaborative, and centered in justice. Right now, we're a team of two, Georgia and I, with support from Critical Frequency. But for our next season, we want to change that. We're hoping to pass the mic along to some new climate storytellers. But we need your help. Here at Inherited, we're committed to paying people a thrivable wage. So we're working on finding funding opportunities to make hiring new storytellers possible. So to those interested in helping this daring and idealistic dream come true, spread the word. Share, support, subscribe. Reach out to us if you have any leads. Follow us on Twitter. Email us. Review us on Apple Podcasts. Join the youth movement. Please freaking vote. Start your own podcast and stay connected to community as we move through this weird-ass year. Because really... That's what it's all about. And thank you to all of our storytellers for this episode. John Kirsch, Gia Bastida, Jeremy Ornstein, Katie Carbonara, Han Van Shriver, Jenna Tipaldo, Ellen Zanazer, Connor Geary, Elizabeth Tarantino, Emma Keeney, Hannah Margolin, Mel Hagos, Ariel Martinez-Cohen, Andres Chang, Aaliyah Greenberg, Ted Bogan, Sarah Dunn, Ivy Burns, Miles Goodrich, Sid Iceland, and Anna Siegel. All the dreams you heard today are featured on our website, inheritedpod.com. To the estate of Octavia Butler for permission to use a quote from Parable of the Talents, and to actor and director Brianna Cox for her incredible reading of it. To the author of Pleasure Activism and Emergent Strategy, Adrienne Marie Brown, and to her sister, the organizer and facilitator Autumn Brown, for allowing us to feature a clip from their podcast, How to Survive the End of the World. Mendel Scalsi for their story about an untamed city. Mendel is one of the hosts and producers of Future Ecologies, a podcast that investigates how our relationship with nature shapes who we are and how we, in turn, shape the world. Stephanie Kaufman Nthinkulu for her musings on justice and abolition. Stephanie is the director of Project Let's, an organization facilitating peer support for mental healing. Actor and playwright Haley Schwartz for giving voice to Pandora from Moonbox, a play she wrote about climate despair and, of course, hope. Inherited is a production of Critical Frequency and is produced and created by Georgia Wright and Juliana Bradley, with help from our executive producer Amy Westervelt and editor Reka Murthy. Music by Rafael Atias, Georgia Wright, and Storyblocks, and sounds from Storyblocks. Special thanks to Merlin's Pen Climate Grants and Critical Frequency. This episode was the collaboration of so many wonderful folks. If you were inspired by the dreams you heard today and want to submit your own dream, you can submit it by email to inheritedpod at gmail.com and we will post it on our website. Follow us at InheritedPod on Instagram and Twitter. Listen to this episode and the rest of the season on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you get your podcasts.
the best thing that you can do as an individual is be part of this collective. If we can just like be like a forest where we're just growing as a community and sharing resources and your goal is to be like that tree that captures as much light as you can so that you can make as much sugars that you need that you could share to your, your friend trees and your offspring trees and then be part of that. So that's how I see like the society I want to build. It's just like a nice connected green forest. <laughs> so, listener, welcome to the forest. We're glad you're here. 